Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. Those of you who are in this room, those of you who are in our overflow space right now, and those who are watching or listening online, I'm so glad that God has you here right uh, now. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Mastering the Money Monster, and we're going to be looking at how we view our money and what we do with our money, and we're actually going to consciously invite God into it and find him actually at the center of it all. So I'm so excited to get into that. But before I get into the message, I just want to mark something that happened last week. Last week was an incredible weekend at our church. In uh, one Sunday, we baptized 54 people in this church. That is significantly more than ever before. So for those of you who said yes to God and were baptized, several folks said yes to Jesus for the first time in their life last week and then immediately walked in to be baptized. A powerful moment to be a part of where we get to see what transformation actually looks like in public. So we're in a fun run where God has us uh, right now. And I want to ask you a question as we get into the whole money monster idea. I want you to think back uh, to when you were a kid. And, uh, you know, I asked when I did this at the 8 a.m., they were kind of hesitant to admit it. I want you just, can we just admit to be an honest bunch with each other? Can we do that? All right. So when you were a kid, at any point, did you have a fear? Were you afraid? Did you believe that a monster lived in your closet or under your bed? Did you ever have that thought or that fear maybe a monster was in? As an adult, do you still sometimes believe that, you know, like when you have a storm and you hear a noise, you're like, monsters are real. And you can still kind of have that primal fear that kicks in. Uh, I, I had that as a kid and it was under my bed. That's where the, the well, it wasn't a monster. It was actually uh, elves that lived under my bed. I had a very vivid imagination and they were evil uh, elves that lived under my bed that were going to get me every night. The problem was they weren't just any elves. The only elves I had context for when I was a kid were um, the Keebler elves. Uh, and I'm not kidding, the ones that make the cookies. And so I had a very real fear that Keebler elves had their little tree house of horror under my bed and were going to pull me in. So I would run and jump into my bed just so they wouldn't grab me and drag me in. It, it, it freaked me out as a kid. And you know, if you've ever had like a monster in a closet or a monster under your bed, there comes a moment when you have to muster up enough courage to face the monster or someone comes in and has to convince you. And usually the way they do that is they flip on the lights and they just turn on the lights and say, see, there's no monster there. And so today what I want to do is we look at how to master the money monsters. I want to op have us open God's word to flip on the lights in our life, to see that there is no monster actually there. Even though the fear of money or our thoughts or feelings around money can lead us to all kinds of irrational beliefs and irresponsible choices, the truth is there is no monster and all of the power that we've given to it has actually been reserved and given to you by God. There's a really fascinating and I think really important book called The Soul of Money, written by a woman named Lynn Twist. Really helpful in my own personal life and in shaping this teaching series. And in the book, she says this idea about the power that we can give to money monsters in our life. This is what she says. She says, money has only the power we assign to it. Now, that's the only power it gets is the power we give it. And she goes on to say, and we have assigned it immense power. We have created a money monster. So I want to ask you as we get into it and get honest today and open our hearts and our lives and, you know, kind of all of our finances to God, what power does money have in your life right now today? Like what's, what's the power that money 
has in your life. You ever thought about that before? Maybe it has the power for you to kind of control your thoughts and you find yourself thinking about it a lot or your anxieties, your fear about not having enough or about losing what you have or about it all falling out, the bottom falling out one day. Have you ever thought about the power that money can have in your life with the belief that you have of the joy that it can bring or the feeling of satisfaction that if you had some more money, that would actually bring to you? Ever had the thought about it, find yourself kind of daydreaming what you would do if you had some more money or what money can actually do to you? There's immense power that we tend to give money that it doesn't actually, doesn't actually deserve. So today what we're going to do is we're going to flip on the lights and take all the power that we've given the money monster and actually learn how to receive that for ourselves from God so that we can take radical responsibility with the resources that God has entrusted to us to have a vision for your finances that can not only transform and change how you view and what you do with your money today, but can honestly impact generations to come that you can actually maybe in your family, be the first person to get it right, to get it as actually God intended it. Does that sound like a good idea? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. So I just thought I'd kind of bring you along with me. So here's what I want you to do. Grab a Bible and I want you to open to Philippians chapter four. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, we should have you covered right in the seat back. Do you see a gray Bible there? Grab that. Grab the pen that's next to it because I want you to jot down a few things. We're going to jot down a few things today that we can actually put into practice in our life today coming right out of the Bible. In the gray Bible, it should be on page 820. So you can just kind of fast track your way there. So both here in our overflow spaces as well, turn to eight page 820, Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you some quick context. The book of Philippians in the New Testament is actually a letter written to a church by the greatest church leader in all of human history, the Apostle Paul. Wrote about half or so of the New Testament. This is a letter he wrote to a church, a church not unlike ours, a church that had its own unique dynamics and struggles. But this church had gotten a few things right. They had trusted God with their resources, and they'd supported the work that Paul was doing. And so he was blessing them and thanking them for supporting the ministry, the work he was doing. And he's also encouraging them to not lose that spirit. Don't let kind of your circumstances define the vision God has given you for your resources. Don't give it power that it doesn't actually deserve. So Paul kind of goes back and forth between talking about God's story, which is the Bible, and then his story. And we're going to see that over these couple of verses. And really, those are the only two stories we have to tell. God's story and your story. And so that's what Paul does here. He starts by talking about his own life and reflecting on where he's been with money over the course of his life. Philippians chapter four, verse 12, he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. So what Paul is doing is just kind of naming a financial spectrum that's alive and well in this room right now. There are folks in this room that say, gosh, I am in need right now. It's not adding up. It's not working out. And there's folks in this room that have plenty that are in a season where they, through either good planning or good fortune or whatever it may be, they have plenty. And I think that's just awesome that we have a room like this where we're all over the spectrum. So Paul says, yeah, I've been there too. I've actually had it all. I've lost it all. I've had plenty. I've been in need. He goes on to say this though. He says, I have learned the what? I have learned the secret. And I love anytime someone has a secret, we kind of lean in like, really? 
What is it? We love secrets, don't we? We love like the secret to mastering your finances. Paul's going to talk about that. We love the secret to losing 10 pounds without actually having to get off your couch. The secret to mastering your calendar by just canceling all your meetings. Like we love secrets. <laughs> we like fast tracks, right? So Paul says, here's the deal. I've got a secret. I've found a secret. But this is what it's about. The secret is about being what? Being content. That means that it is well with my soul that I have all that I actually need. I have a secret about being content in every situation, no matter what the financial circumstances are in my life, whether I'm in need or I have plenty, I've found the secret to being content, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And then what Paul is about to do is drop a, a fundamental financial principle that's woven all throughout scripture. But I love this idea, how he just names, he goes, he's basically saying, I get it. I get it. I know what it means to feel like there's just not enough. And I know what it means to have plenty. I remember when I was growing up, there was a family friend of ours, a guy by the name of Jack Brandt. And he had built a pretty successful business when I first met him when I was a little kid and then had lost it all, lost everything, raising two kids in the Bay Area, trying to figure out how he and his wife are going to make ends meet, trying to scramble to get jobs just to pay the bills. And then over the course of the time that I knew him, he rebuilt a new business, and that really thrived and did well for about a decade or so. And then he lost that as well. The economy turned, bottom fell out, lost everything. And I remember him saying to me all along as a kid, as a teenager, and as an adult, he would say to me, he's like, Jared, I have been rich and I've been poor. And let me tell you, rich is a whole lot more fun. So I think that's basically what Paul is. I think that's, I don't know if that's what Paul, okay, that's not what Paul's saying. But I appreciate the wisdom of Jack Brandt in my life. I appreciate Paul's saying, look, I know the spectrum, and I love that we have that in this room as well, the full spectrum. He says, here's the secret, though. Here's the secret for all of us, no matter where you're at with your finances, for all of us to being truly content. It's found in verse 13. He says this. Here's the secret. I can do what? I can do all this. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I grew up with the translation says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all of this, no matter what the season, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how many zeros are behind the bottom line, no matter what it is, the secret to contentment is this. I got this because of God in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So a little question for you. How many of the things can you do through Christ who strengthens you? What would you say? All, it's not a trick question. The answer is on the board, so let me say it again. How many of the things can you do? All things. Now, why is this so important? Because each of us has little corners, little places in our heart and our soul and our beliefs that we think this doesn't apply to. And for a lot of folks, certainly not all of us, but for a lot of folks, it's our finances. I don't know if I can. I don't know if God can. I don't know if it's actually possible for me to experience that kind of contentment. What Paul's saying here, what God has for you today is it doesn't matter what your financial circumstances, it doesn't matter what's going on in the global economy. You can actually handle it. You can do it. You have the power given to you by God to do all things, no matter what they may be, no matter how much God may bring your way, no matter how much you have in the bank, no matter how many bills you have to pay, you can do all this through Christ who gives you strength. You can, you actually can. And I think you need to hear that. I need, let me put it this way. I need to hear that, to know that. 
a couple summers back, several years ago, in fact, we were teaching our daughter Gigi how to swim. Elijah, her brother, had learned pretty quickly, pretty easily, and so we were teaching her how to swim, and she loved the swimming part, the holding on to the side of the pool, the kick in the legs, you know, the whole thing. She was really good at that. The problem she had with swimming was getting into the water, which, from what I understand, is an important part uh, to swimming. You have to get into the water at some point. And so we would have to like carry her in, bring her in. There's a lot of clinging to us until she was in the water and kind of felt comfortable to do it. So we said, well, we're going to teach you how to jump in the water, not just kind of tiptoe. You're going to jump in the water. So we put her up on the edge of the pool. We're like, all right, Gigi, you can do this. And I remember this first from when I was her age growing up hearing this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I said, Gigi, you can do this. In fact, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say as loud as you can. Say, God, give me courage and jump in the water. And as soon as you say, God, give me courage, jump in the water because he will give you the courage to do it. So, you know, Gene and I are kind of coaching her because we're pastors and leaders. And so, of course, we're going to make it a sermon. And so we're going to fire. We're firing her all up on the side of the pool. She's there in her little swimsuit standing there, you know, kind of scared. She goes, okay, okay, okay. God, give me courage. God, give me courage. This is really, you know, proud parenting moment, you know. Like, God, give me courage. Three, God, give me courage. Two, God, give me courage. Three, and she kind of just kept the countdown going for as long as possible. God, give me courage. And then finally, she said it loud enough to where she actually believed it and jumped in the water. And that's become a little mantra for her. That's her little thing. When she feels scared or she can't do it, she says, God, give me courage. God, give me courage that I can actually do this. And I think that's what you need to say and you need to hear today. God, give me the courage to handle whatever may come my way. I can do this because of the strength, the power that you actually give me. Listen, God has given you the authority to take responsibility with your resources. It's not about some monster out there who's out of control and out to get you. You can do this. God will give you the courage to master your money. And so I want to walk through a couple myths that keep us from living in that truth. And a couple mantras like Gigi's on the edge of the pool, a couple mantras for you to remember and even begin to practice saying this week. To help you do that, what I want you to do is I want you to grab a wallet if you got one and grab a, uh, your purse, just pull your wallet out if you would. And, and I want you to hold it in your lap. Uh, if, you would. if you don't have a wallet with you, that's fine. Just borrow one from the person next to you. I'm sure they won't mind. Um, pull that out. Now, don't worry. I, you're, like, people get all freaked out when we talk about money in church, right? And you're like, I'm not going to ask you to pass your wallets forward right now. That's next week. So just, just know that. Just know that. Just hold it. All I want you to do is hold a Bible and hold your wallet. I think this is a great posture for you to have. Just keep it in your lap because we're going to keep referring to it. This money monster that some of us have made. We're going to keep referring to it and speaking truth to some of the myths and some of the lies that we may have around our finances. All right, first money myth that can really overpower you is this myth. And maybe you've found yourself seeing this, saying this, or believing this. The myth is this. Money makes me feel dot, 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 and then you fill in the blank. What would you say if you had to complete that sentence? Money makes me feel stressed. A lot of people, statistically, a lot of people, most Americans feel stressed when it comes to their finances. Money makes me feel happy. Maybe that's the feeling for you. Oh, I get money. I'm happy. I can go get some new stuff. I'm happy. Maybe money makes you feel safe. You grew up in a home where there was not a lot of money. And so you've done whatever you can do to get as much as you can because it makes you feel safe. What does money make you feel? See, our, our feeling is that money makes us feel a certain way. And it is different for all of us. That's the crazy thing is all of us 
feel something or some things about money, but what you feel about money is totally different from the person sitting next to you. And let me show you what I mean. I'm going to write a little number on the board, and you just think about how this number makes you feel. $3. How do you feel about $3? Probably don't have a ton of feelings about it. Like, okay, it's a cup of coffee. I could lose that in the wash and still be okay. $3, not a big, when you were a kid, $3 meant a lot, didn't it? $3 was big time, but now, you know, $3. Okay, so kind of dial in with what you feel about that. Let's just add a zero to it, $30. How do you feel about that? Feel different about that than you do about three, don't you? $30, okay. Okay, that could get me dinner at a, you know, kind of nice restaurant in Chicago, or, or at least it could pay for valet. All right, so we'll cover valet. <laughs> I'm kind of on my own once I get inside, but I've covered valet. Right? So we have feelings around that. Well, let's just add another zero. How do you feel about $300? Oh, okay, three, okay, $300. Okay. I mean, that could be groceries for this month. That could help with rent for this month. That can help for getting out of debt. $300. You feel, you feel something about that, don't you? All right, well, let's just keep going. We'll add another zero to it. $3,000. How's that feel? Feeling better, don't we? Yeah, I feel pretty good about that, right? I mean, $3,000, that could cover your rent. That could cover your mortgage. That's a big deal. That can help, you know, go towards paying off a car, whatever it is, right? We could just keep going. I could just keep adding zeros and adding zeros and adding zeros. Well, now let's just posit this one for a second. $3 million. How do you feel about that? Feeling pretty good. Give it to me. All right. If I had it, I wouldn't. But um, $3 million, how does that feel? Here's the crazy thing, how you feel about it, it's probably totally different from the person sitting next to you. For some people, it's like, oh my gosh, I'll never see that much money in my lifetime. That's the belief. Or for others, it's, yeah, $3 million. That's what I have in the bank right now. Or yeah, that's what I have saved away right now. Or that's what I make in a year. How you feel about money is totally different from person to person. Totally uniquely different from person to person. And honestly, if we're being really, really real, it's totally irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant how you feel about money. Because here's the deal, friends. Money can't make you feel anything. It doesn't have the power to make you feel anything. Look at this. That's what I got. I got 22 bucks in my wallet right now. All right, how does that make me feel? Mm, a little tight. Okay, how... <laughs> It doesn't feel anything towards me. This is a non-emotional entity. It's numbers and paper. You are the one that ascribes and gives the power of feelings to it. My money actually doesn't care about me. It's not like when I get home from a long day at work, my money's waiting for me going, oh, did you have a hard day? Can I rent you a movie? Can I get you some food, take out? Would that make you feel better? It doesn't care about me. My money, it's a non-emotional entity. The only reason that you actually feel anything about your money is because you give it the power to do so. And if you feel like, oh man, if I had it, do you know what I could do? Do you know what I could do if I had that kind of money? Or just take even a couple zeros away. You know what I could do with that kind of money? You know what I could do? Do you want to know what that kind of money will do? What any amount of money will do? It will do exactly what you tell it to do. Because it's a non-emotional entity that has zero feelings 
about you. It does what you actually tell it to do. So here's a little mantra for you to remember. The next time you begin to feel stress or, or fear or safety or joy around your money, and I, and I want you to hold your wallet and I want you to think about this, and I'm gonna have you repeat it after me. Money doesn't feel about me the way I feel about it. Money doesn't feel about me the way I feel about it. Repeat that after me. Money doesn't feel about me. The, okay, we, we totally... How did 400 people just screw that whole thing up? All right, let's, you repeat after me. I'll go first and then you. I'll do the first part, then you repeat the first part, then I'll do the second part, and you just, cool? All right, I think Overflow nailed it, but all right, all right. Money doesn't feel about me the way I feel about it. There you go. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the power. It only has the power that you ascribe to it, that you actually give to it. So I want you to remember that this week as you're feeling whatever it is you're feeling around money, that it doesn't have any feelings and it doesn't feel about you the way that you feel about it. God has given you the power to be the master of your money. Next one. And maybe you are familiar with this one. Next money myth uh, to remember. And it's the thought, maybe you found yourself saying this. If I just had more, that would be enough. You ever found yourself feeling that? And again, more means all kinds of different things to us. But anytime you find yourself feeling or saying, God, if I just had a little bit more, that would be enough. That's all I need. Here's what you're saying. You're basically doing a little greater than less than. You're saying that more is greater than enough. If I just had more, then that would actually be enough. And what's so interesting about this is that for folks who tend to get more and more and more, statistically, they don't tend to feel like it's enough. And again, some of you in this room have incredible resources, and you've had to face this yourself. Some of you may not have what you would consider incredible resources. You've had to face this as well. In fact, a couple years ago, Fidelity Investments did a, a survey of some of their high-capacity investors, folks who had, whose net worth was from a million dollars to $7 million. And they asked them a couple different questions, but one of the main questions they asked those folks who had over a million dollars to $7 million, they asked them this question, do you feel wealthy? That was a question. Do you feel wealthy? Do you know what the response was? 42% of those folks said they do not feel wealthy. 42% of folks who have a net worth of a million to $7 million said, I don't, four out of 10. I don't feel like it's enough. I don't, I can get more and more and more and it just doesn't feel like it's enough. This is rooted in a fundamental fear that we talked about a lot here called scarcity. It's the belief that there is not enough out there. And we, it's not about everyone else too. It's not like, I just don't feel like there's enough for the whole world. It's about you. You don't feel like there's enough for you. And if you were to dial into that a little bit deeper and you were to see where God is at in the mix of that, the belief can lead to, I don't believe that God has enough for me or I don't believe that God cares enough about me to give me what I want or what I think I need or that God isn't good enough to provide me with what I need. This is where scarcity leads to. If I just had more, then it would actually be enough. And the problem with the more and enough game is that it is a moving goalpost. And you know how you know this? Because I want you to think back to 16-year-old you. For some of you, that may be easier than others. But try and remember back to whenever you had your first real job. Go back to when you had your first real job. And I want you to tell 16-year-old you how much you're making right now today. 
You will blow 16-year-old you's mind. They will say, what? You make how much? How much Taco Bell can you buy with that much money? That's it. What do you need all that money for, right? It's a moving goalpost. There's always a bigger house. There's always a nicer car. There's always a better vacation. There's always a nicer, newer wardrobe. It is a moving goalpost if you're going to play the game that having more will actually be enough for you. It's time to actually flip the lights on and see things how God sees things. And the real shift here. The real shift is when you take those exact same words and you realize that God actually gives you more than enough. That God gives you more than enough. Always. That's who God is. That's what he does. That's why Jesus said, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Your father takes care of every one of their needs. Don't you think that if he takes such good care of them, surely he will take good care of you. That's why Jesus made a point of saying, your father God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. This is why Paul goes on to write a couple verses later in Philippians 4, 19, that God will supply every one of your needs according to the glorious riches which are in Christ Jesus. This is who God is and what he does. He is a God that is more than enough. And he loves to provide for his children more than enough. Now, it may not be more than the person next to you, It may not be more than where you thought you would be at this point in your life, but it will always be more than enough. You may not have all that you want. I get it. But in God, when you get to that place of trusting him, releasing your resources to him, you will find you actually have more than enough. And it's what you do with what you have at that point that matters, not what you hope to have one day. You see the shift? So there's powerful, powerful mantra. God gives me more than enough. So I want us to say it out loud. So remember, I'll say the first part, then you repeat it. So remember, we did this a minute ago. So, so God gives me, God gives me more, than enough. more than enough. Fundamental, powerful, transformational shift. Last money myth I want us to get into. And, and this is perhaps the most toxic because you can die a slow death from this one, just slowly, daily giving away power to a monster that doesn't even exist. And it's the belief that this is just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Whatever it is about your finances right now, that's just the way it is. I mean, my parents never taught me this stuff. My parents never modeled this stuff. I wish I would have heard this message in college, before I racked up a ton of debt. I didn't know. So this is just the way, I mean, this is just kind of my lot in life. It's the way it is. Debt's just a part of my daily reality. And always feeling like there's never enough is just sort of what I've come to know. There's not much you can do about it. See, this is where all the power in this myth is at. The power is in making you feel powerless. Because that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing God can do about it. And what's really, really interesting about this one, if we were to be really honest, and why don't we? I mean, we've been talking honestly about money and God for a while now. Let's just go all the way. This belief that this is just the way it is, honestly, all it really is, is an excuse that you use to enable where you're at. 
I'm just, that's me. I'm being honest. Is that we can use it as an excuse to say, oh, well, it's just the way it is. I mean, I don't know. Why even trust God? I'm stuck. Why take radical responsibility for my resources? Regardless of how much you have. Listen, you may be set financially, but you also may be stuck. You may have pride when it comes to your finances. You've figured it all out. You may be closed off to giving and trusting God with more and more and more. It doesn't matter where you're at in the spectrum. When you sort of believe that, oh, I'm powerless, I've given, then you've just found an excuse to enable yourself to stay stuck. And you didn't used to be like that. For those of you that wrestle with this myth, you didn't used to actually be like that. When you were a kid, anytime someone came along to try and take something from you or tell you how to do something, you had a mantra you had a way of taking the power and authority back, especially if it was an older sibling. How many younger siblings or babies in the family do we have here? Just raise your hand. All right, I am with you. The struggle is real. We <laughs> got everything we wanted and had no consequences. So if you had older siblings, if you had older siblings and they came around trying to boss you, you had a phrase that you would say back to them. You would say to them, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Oh, I can't tell you how many times. We have an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. We hear that on the daily. And I love when they try and use it on me and Jeannie. It's like, oh, no, you did. Oh, I am the boss of you. This is actually very clear. You're not the boss of me. He used to say it all the time. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And I think when it comes to the monster that we can make out of money, I think we need to remember that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your wallet or I want you to grab your purse. I want you to look at it. And I want you to say with all that eight-year-old energy that you can find, you're not the boss of me. Go ahead and tell it. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You don't get to tell me what to do. You don't even feel anything anyway. You get to tell it. Tell your money off, right? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Now, this is a fundamental transformational shift that happens. Listen. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, as so many folks in this church have, so many folks did last week, and if you're not there yet, I love that you're here. I love that you are open. My prayer is that you would say yes to Jesus. That is why we do everything we do, and so that you would say yes to Jesus. Because when you do, here's the shift that happens. What you say when you say yes to Jesus is, okay, you're the boss of me. You can be the boss of me, God. I've been the boss of me for a long time and it hasn't worked out all that well. You can be the boss of me. And then what God says to you when you make him the boss of your life is awesome. You're the boss of your resources. It does what you tell it to do. It goes where you send it. You are the boss of your resources. And when you get that God is the boss of you, anything is actually possible. And so here's the little mantra I want us to repeat together. I want you to repeat this after me. And it's something you can say as you're opening up your finances and opening up your resources. You can have this at the ready. You can say this. God is the boss of me. I want you to repeat that after me. God is the boss of me. And I am the boss of my money. Let's say it again. God is the boss of me. And I'm the boss of my money. I know it sounds so simple, but practice it. See if that doesn't shift you from living and believing in a myth to actually becoming a master of the money that God has actually entrusted to you. Listen, your money, this money, makes a great employee for your life. You get to tell it what to do and where to go and when to show up. Can't control everything, but you, you get to be the boss of this. Money makes a great employee, but it makes a terrible boss. 
Money is a terrible boss. And maybe you've been dragged around, led by, beat up by, whatever. Money that you've made into a monster and you've let it be the boss of you. You've given it all the power. This is just the way it is and there's nothing I can do about it. God says, no, not so with you. When you allow me to be the Lord of your life, you'll find that I actually trust you with what I've entrusted to you. That I've given you the authority, I've given you the power to master your money, to not play a victim, to not be stuck, but to actually say, God, okay, what can I do with what you've actually given me today? I love the process of seeing when that happens for folks around here at Soul City. And we get emails about this of folks who kind of get this idea. And I got an email not too long ago. I want to read about the process of moving to this place of trust when it comes to our resources, taking the power back from wherever it is that you've given it, that God actually intended for you. This is from someone who grew up, you know, a Christian for the better half of about half of their life. And, but the money thing was always the last holdout for them. So I'm read you, I won't read you the whole email, but uh, he says this. He said, I would go back and forth at church. I'd go back and forth between being a gripper and a tipper. We're going to talk about that next week, how we can grip and hold on to our money or just throw a couple bucks in the bucket to you know, make God feel better about all this stuff. So he goes, I would go back and forth between being a gripper and a tipper. That was until I called Soul City home. There Jesus began the transformational work of changing my heart from a heart of control and pride to a heart of understanding and grace. He goes on to say that he grew up actually in a home was pretty well off until his parents got a divorce. His mom was left to raise three boys on her own, single mom working till midnight at Whitehead. So he learned real quick to grip onto money as tight as can, to hold on tight to relationships because the fear was that he'd lose them at any given moment. He got married and he found in his marriage that they were pretty early on fighting a lot about money. They had two very different beliefs about money and they were fighting about money. And he says this, within the first few weeks at Soul City, we felt God prompting us to get serious, to take responsibility about giving, about trusting God with our money. So we set up our accounts online, very smart move, and slowly something was being made new in us. At the time, we didn't understand why our marriage was getting better. Our fights were decreasing. Our wounds, emotional wounds that we'd inflicted on each other, we're beginning to heal. We began to have a marriage that actually honored God. He closes out by saying this simple act of obedience, of trust, of testing God with all of this has already paid off. He said the payoff for me and for us was the floodgates being opened up on our marriage. He said, there's surely no treasure on this earth more precious to me than my wife. And if God was going to open up the floodgates of blessing in my life, it would certainly be the place that I value the most. And he did, and he has, with a faithfulness that brings me to tears. Isn't that beautiful what happens when you make the shift from believing in all the myths of a money monster to actually trusting God, letting him be the boss of your life and believing that he's actually already given you the power and authority to take responsibility with what he's actually entrusted to you. God has given you the authority to take responsibility with your resources. It's gonna look different for all of us, but the question is for each of us, will you? Will you, will you, no matter where you're at in life, no matter how much you have or don't, or if you're early on in your career or later in life, will you be the boss of your money? Will you? 
trust God to become a master of your money? Or will you continue to live in the dark and live in fear and live in scarcity and live in the belief that if you just had more, that would be enough, or this is as good as it's going to get? Or are you willing to flip on the lights and say, I can actually do this. I can do it. In fact, all things through Christ who gives me strength. Next week, we're going to get real specific. I like to call it spiritually practical. Next week, we're going to get spiritually practical about how to do this. And I want to encourage you to come back next week. One of the best next steps as homework you can do is to show back up next week. And then for bonus, like if you're really serious about this and you want to take radical responsibility for resources and you're willing like Gigi at the edge of the pool to say, God, give me courage to do this. I'm scared. I don't know how to do this. I haven't been that good at this. Or God, I've got more resources than I have vision for. So God, give me courage to trust you. I want to let you know that we're actually offering one of our budget boot camps coming up on March 18th. You can go online and sign up for today. I would encourage you to do it today. Those things fill up fast. And it's a way where you can actually get into the nuts and bolts like we can't during a time like this on a Sunday. You can get in the nuts and bolts of your resources and how you can take responsibility with them. But your homework this week, the real homework this week is really simple. Anyone can do this. At some point this week, what I want you to do is I want you to actually open up the books, whatever the books look like for you. You know, it's different for all of us these days. Maybe it's going online and looking at your account. Maybe it's going and looking at your investments. Maybe it's actually checking back in with your debt that you maybe have been paying towards but haven't really understood where things are at. So can can you this week at least take some responsibility to open up the books? And as you do, I would ask you to open up your heart to just do an inventory. We're going to get, like I said, real spiritually practical next week about this. But for this week, would you be willing to open up the books? And if you're married, you and your spouse can do that together. I'd encourage you to do that together. Open up the books and open up your heart and just pray this prayer as you're looking at it all. Maybe you're starting to feel this. Maybe you're starting to believe this. Myths are starting to creep back in. Look at it and say, I can do all of this through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I can actually do this. God's given me the power and the authority to do so. So what I want to do is have you stand up. I'm going to pray for you as we do that together. Our homework of opening up the books and opening up our hearts. And we take a posture of prayer around here where we open up our hands. And so if that's helpful to you to do that, I'd encourage you to do that. I want to remind you, right as I pray over you, the powerful, this is woven. This isn't just a one-off kind of idea in the Bible. This idea of your power and authority given to you by God is actually woven all throughout the Bible. In fact, Paul writes in another book of the Bible, 1 Timothy, a letter to his young kid that he was discipling named Timothy. First, or sorry, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. It says, for the spirit of God, uh, that the spirit that God actually gives us inside of you, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful or cowering around in the dark, but it gives us what? It gives us power and love and self-discipline, that you don't have to be afraid of a monster that doesn't actually even exist. The spirit God has given you is one of power and of love, generosity, and of self-discipline to actually see it through. God's given you the authority to take responsibility with your resources. So let's pray. That's exactly what we do this week. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the fact that you've actually entrusted us with resources. And it looks different for every one of us. And I love that about our church, God. So for each of us, I pray that whatever it was that you needed to speak to us today, we heard it, we received it, and that we would take action with it today, God. That we would open up the books and open up our hearts and invite you in 
and believe about us what you see in us, that you've given us the authority, you've given us the power. And so God, I want to pray for every person in this church who's worked really hard on this and they've gone to the workshops. God, they've tried to get their financial affairs in order, mastering their money. God, I want to bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for them, God. I thank you for the way that they're giving to this church, the way that they're trusting you with their resources. And God, I pray that that would continue to increase, that that would grow in them a greater desire of trusting you, that they would not rest, that they would not allow pride to grow in their heart, but they would continue to seek how to honor you with what you've entrusted to them. And God, I want to pray for everyone in this room who feels stressed, who feels anxiety, who feels overwhelmed. God, I want to bless them in the name of Jesus right now because they are exactly right where they need to be in this moment. And I pray, God, that a spirit of freedom would wash over our church, a liberating, empowering freedom that says, I can actually do this. I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. God, that we would be the kind of church that honors you with all of our life, including our resources. And that God, you would continue to multiply the transformational work that you're doing in and through this church, God. Thank you that you have entrusted that power and authority to us. So it's by the power of Jesus' mighty name that we pray it would be so. Amen.